0: Okay, and we appreciate Bob teaching the class the last couple of times in Deuteronomy 13. And a little bit of Deuteronomy 14. Uh, we put the outline of 14 briefly on the board. Uh, you went over verses 1 and 2 about you will be a holy people. And because they are the sons of God, verse 1, because they are a holy people, a treasured possession of the Lord. They are to behave in certain ways they are avoid, they are to avoid cutting themselves for the dead which seems to be a custom of pagan religions uh, but here they are to avoid uh, this israel is to avoid this particular practice and then uh, there is in verses 3 through 21 a list of clean and unclean foods This goes back to Leviticus 11, where we see the same kind of list. Again, what they ate and what they didn't eat was tied with the fact that they are sons of God, that they are a holy people. As Bob was saying, uh, the very fact that God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shows that there are circumstances where it's important what we eat and what we don't eat. Now, I'm not saying these food laws from 14.3 to 14.21 apply to us as Christians. I'm not saying that they apply to us as Christians. For we see in Acts chapter 10, That's not the case. In Acts 10, as that great sheep was let down from heaven, and there were all kinds of four-footed creatures and crawling things, and a voice said to Peter, Arise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, Not so, Lord. Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And God said, What I have cleansed, do not call unclean. So in those passages, we see they don't apply in the same way. But... Does that mean they were irrelevant in that day and time or they were unimportant? If every bite you eat, you have to be conscious of whether or not this is approved of God or this is not approved of God, that was a way of instilling in these people the fear of God and the reverence for God as to who He is. But let's go over these clean and unclean foods rather quickly, okay? Verses 3 through 8 lists what they can eat and not eat of the uh, animals, of the land animals. Now you notice verse 3 says, You shall not eat any detestable thing. Then verses 4 through 6 Stay what they can eat. These are the animals which you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, ro- the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Any animal that divides the hoof and has the hoof split in two and choose the cud could, um, among animals that you may eat. Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these animals, those which chew the cud, or among those which divide the hoof. The camel, the rabbit, the rock badger, for they chew the cud, but do not divide the hoof. They are unclean to you. The pig, because it divides the hoof, but does not chew the cud, and it is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of its flesh nor touch their carcasses. So, in this particular passage of 4 through 6, what they can eat, 7 and 8, what they are not to eat, perhaps the thing that stands out most to us is that pig or swine were unclean animals. They were not only not to Eat them, But notice it is specified in verse 8. You are to not eat any of their flesh or touch their carcass. Now, that informs us when we come to the New Testament. And we come to the New Testament and we see the prodigal son who gets a job feeding swine. He has sunk as low as a Jewish boy could sink. He wanted to do those things that he couldn't do at home, and he is doing them in a bad way here. He is feeding swine and wishing he could eat what they ate. There are a couple of passages in the Old Testament that show us that Israel was eating swine's flesh, and it's used a couple of times in connection with idolatry. That's Isaiah 65, Uh, It's Isaiah 65 verses 3 and 4 and Isaiah 66 verses 3 and 4 as well. Now the fish that you could eat and not eat are in verses 9 and 10. You could eat the fish that had fins and scales, but you could not eat the fish that did not have fins and scales. They were regarded as unclean. In verses eleven through twenty, you see the references to the birds. Verse eleven and verse verse eleven says, "You may eat any clean bird." That same line is repeated in verse twenty. You may eat any clean bird, but then all it lists are unclean birds. So uh, I guess if it didn't fall into this description of an unclean bird it was regarded as clean. If you are to compare verses 11 through 20 in various translations, if you compare them in various translations, you will find the translations are going to differ right here. And one of the reasons is because some of these words are only used here and in Leviticus 11. Sometimes we translate a word and we learn how a word is used largely by context. If a word is used so rarely, as is the case right here, it is sometimes difficult to, to translate them. But uh, a lot of the birds that are forbidden are birds that we would speak of as scavengers, uh, birds uh, that would eat dead But they're to eat a clean bird, but not eat any of these unclean birds. In verse 21, you shall not eat anything that dies of itself. You must give it to the alien who is in, you may give it to the alien who is in your town. So he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You shall not boil a goat his mother's milk. Now, I want you to notice here in verse 2, God said to Israel, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. At the conclusion of this section, in verse 21, You are a holy people to the Lord your God. These two laws need to be seen in that particular sense that God is trying to create a holy I've written on the board Leviticus 11 verses 44 and 45. It says, Be holy, for I am holy. That may be the theme of the book of Leviticus. It's stated five times, but it's stated twice right there. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. Be holy, for I am holy. That is said in the context of food laws. So these food laws were particularly tied with holiness and God's demand of holiness from His people. Be holy, for I am holy. One of the purposes of the food laws was to keep Israel distinct from the nation. Leviticus 20 uh, verses 22 through 26 particularly seems to highlight that. That these food laws would have uh, led them to be distinct from the nations, to keep distinct from them. And therefore, these food laws served as a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. Remember what we said about Cornelius earlier and about Peter seeing that vision before he preached to Cornelius in Acts 10 of that sheep with all kinds of four-footed creatures and unclean animals. And he says, God says, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Not so, Lord. Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And God said, What I have cleansed do not call common or unclean. Later, he comes to the house of a Gentile and eats with him. And he says, God has taught me that I should not call any man common or unclean. The, 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 the elimination of the food laws was a part of breaking down the distinction between Jew and Gentile. Tony, you had a little bit of thought.
1: so we had noted before, whenever he re, uh, reiterates the Ten Commandments. The difference between uh, there in Exodus and here in Deuteronomy of the Sabbath, I think, is where he makes a different connection. It also here, I I don't know if there's much significance to it. I don't know what what they're supposed to be. The only difference that I saw between it and Leviticus 11 is like with the insects and then lizards. I don't know if he just kind of cuts it off and goes, well, you know the rest. But I just didn't know if there's any significance that maybe I was missing yeah. Uh, why he wouldn't mention those? Because he just mentions winged insects, and so if you just limited it to reading this, you go, "Well, you couldn't eat locust at all." Yeah, but like that's what John ate. Yeah, yes, and that's exactly. all I. That's always like, wait a minute. I know he ate this. white. Yeah. but that's not unclean. So how is that? And okay, to go back to, a of a I, to That's that.
0: that's a good point, and it's good that you compare them, compare those passages, and examine them. Um, it's just
1: that he's not being exhaustive here. I think it's I think it's just or, that
0: this is a more abbreviated list. It's not as exhaustive. What Tony is referring to particularly is verse nineteen. Um, it says, "All the teeming life with wings are unclean to you; they shall not be eaten." So that, that's the statement there in Levin, in, in Deuteronomy chapter fourteen in verse nineteen. This is what Leviticus eleven twenty through twenty three says. Leviticus eleven twenty through twenty three: All winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among the winged insects which walk on all fours. These are they which have feet jointed, uh, which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on the earth. These are of them you may eat. The locust in its kind, the devastating locust in its kind, the cricket in its kind, the grasshopper in its kind. But the other winged insects you, which are four-footed are detestable. Tony's point is that Deuteronomy fourteen nineteen only mentions those that are unclean. Leviticus 11 shows us that some are clean. Now, there, Leviticus eleven twenty two is one of those points where there is a great difficulty translating all the all the words here. But it seemed to be seems to be different stages in the growth of the locust in the locust family, and these but these creatures were considered clean. They were considered clean. So. John the Baptist was eating locusts and wild honey. That's, I think, in context, too, a picture of his self-denial. As Jesus was later to say, John came neither eating nor drinking, and you said he has a demon. So there is a distinction. I think it's that this list is more abbreviated, that list a little bit more expansive. So... Those who enjoy eating locusts um, could, could eat them in the Old Testament.
1: So when we talk about clean and unclean, we can go back to the time of Noah when the concept of clean and unclean was there because of what he was bringing yes. to the ark. Yes. And then after the flood, God told Noah that every living creature is given to you for food. And then we see a distinction when Israel is set up as a separate nation where we have these laws and then the New Testament, where those are taken away. So it might not understand that basically the New Testament is going back to originally how God wanted it, where everything for all peoples was going to be available, not only food, but also salvation, um, and, and, and then inside the nation of Israel as a special people, and now including the whole world.
0: Well, that's a good, that's, that's pretty good summary, because what you're saying, you do see in Genesis... Noah takes seven of the clean animals on the ark, two of the unclean. So there was some kind of distinction made right then. But they were given the opportunity to eat flesh after the flood (Genesis 9, verses 1 through 6). And you see in the, in, the, in the New Testament, or excuse me, you see in the Old Testament when God calls Israel that they have a special set of rules. Here are some passages in the New Testament that knocked down that distinction between two laws. Jesus even touched upon it in Mark 7, 19, when you distinguish between what makes one clean and what makes one unclean. Acts 10, which we've already invoked a couple of times, and it was called, or Peter reviews these events in Acts 11. First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, is a strong statement here. But yes, I think that's probably a good way to say it, Mike. That it this goes back to what God has said uh, in the begin, or near near the beginning, anyway. That you could eat meat uh, originally in the beginning. It seems that God, man, was eating the green herb and the plants of the field. So good thoughts, and and again, these laws. I know we can look upon them, and we can say, particularly in in our culture, if we may like to eat certain foods that are rendered unclean, we may look at these things as a burden. But God is doing this to make His people more conscious of Him, to make them more distinct from bad practices, of the nations that they would become involved in. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about the tithe in verses 22 through 29. Now, what does, if somebody talks about tithing, how much are they giving? A tenth. I've heard people say that they tithe this percent or that percent. As as it's a percent, not, it's not 10%. You can't tithe anything else but 10%. That's the meaning of the term. It is not always easy for me to get a clear handle on all that was done with tithing in the Old Testament. But let's look at a couple of things here. First of all, verses 22 and 23. You shall surely tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of your field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place which He chooses to establish His name. The tithe of your grain, the tithe of your new wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herd and flock, in order that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So you tithe the produce of what you sow. You, you you sow your plants in the field and you tithe the grain, new wine, and oil. When Jesus talked about those Pharisees who tithe the smallest garden plant, In Matthew twenty-three, verse twenty-three, he is not per se just mocking them for tithing the smallest plant. He is mocking them or criticizing them because they are so careful about those smallest plants, but they neglect weightier matters: justice, mercy, and the love of God. He's not. Complaining or criticizing that they small, that they that they tithe these plants. Now, one of the things you notice that these ties are connected with what we talked about in chapter twelve. They are connected, uh, the tie is connected in verse twenty-three, in verse twenty-five with the place that the Lord chooses. Of course, ultimately this will be Jerusalem, but it's connected with bringing it to the central house of worship, the temple, the place where God's sanctuary is. They are to bring it to the place where the Lord chooses to establish His name. What was God's purpose in telling Israel to give a tent? Of their grain, new wine, and oil to God. What was the purpose of bringing the firstborn of their herds and flocks? The purpose in verse 23 was in order that they might fear, that you might learn to fear the Lord your God always. Why does God call on us to give? God is not in need of our gift. As Psalm 50 says, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle are a thousand hills. It's not as if in giving, we bring something to God that He doesn't have already. What it is in giving is we are learning, and we are reminding ourselves of our dependence upon Him, our reliance upon Him, and He is the source of every good gift. Bringing these things to God was a reminder to us that they, a reminder to them to fear the Lord. I guess
1: the thought though of what the tithe was to go to, maybe sometimes we're uh, separated from that of just thinking, well, it's given to God, but it didn't just like, I give it to God and it just disappears. Yeah, Like they're giving it to the Levite, to the sojourner, yes. to the widows and orphans. So... Their tithing was giving to God, but it's yes. for those purposes, yes, as it opposed is. to just like some magical thing that just we're giving it to God and we just burn it up or something. But yes. there, there are certain sacrifices that are. But I'm not yeah. saying the
0: tithing yeah. was for those pe- particular people. They sacrificed their firstborn of their herds and flocks. Even then, you know. Uh, my, but, my but difficulty saying, is though, what you're saying. I'm just saying, though, that the time yeah. actually went to people. Yes. And my difficulty is figuring out, in all these cases, exactly who and where it went. Because it is stated to go to the Levites in Numbers 18. Mm-hmm. You also see here, t- and Tony brings There's up another a good situation such. where
1: they're supposed to take a special collection every. Is it every two years or something like that?
0: Yeah, every third year. that said in verse 28 and 29. But you also notice that even they eat part of it. You see that in yeah. verse 23. You shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God. And then if the temple is too far away one day, instead of bringing the firstborn of your herd or the firstborn of your flock or bringing all your crops down there, what you could do is change that for some means of income. Then when you got down there, you purchased that amount in grain and wine and oil and you could eat and drink in God's presence. So so you gave it to the the Levites who served you gave they ate a portion of it every third year in verse 29 at the end of let's read 28 29 28 29 at the end of every third year you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in that year and you shall deposit it in your town the levite because he has no portion or inheritance among you And the alien and the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you shall do. My problem is not understanding what they are giving to God in this case. The difficulty for me is to work out, like Tony said what was done with all of that which they did give to God. But obviously, one of the points was it was a way for them to provide for those who were poor. The Levite, who didn't have an inheritance like the others, in verse 29. And then also the alien, the orphan, the widow, who are classes that are constantly called attention to in the Old Testament as being in need. And the Bible says that, that, and it's emphasized, they will be recipients of these blessings as well. Now, yes, go ahead. It says so that we may learn to fear God. yes. Yes. It, it, we have to grow to be like him. And so the whole purpose of this is the start of that. Yes, and it, it, it's a very good statement. I'm tying in this too with the section on the board. As they were careful when they ate to always eat what God told them to. And then as God blessed their crops, they are conscious of giving back. Attempt to God. All of this is for the purpose to make them conscious of God. To make them conscious of God. Do we need to be conscious of God? The Bible says, Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 12, 36, every idle word that you speak, you shall give an account for in the day of judgment. Now, that is a passage that warns us indeed. But is God just trying to scare us to death there? Or if we are truly conscious of Him before every word we speak saying, is this a word that I want to be faced with in a negative way in Judgment Day? Does that help us Be more careful about what we say? Does it help us to think more frequently about God? I mean, all of these instructions. And this is one of the things I have gotten from Deuteronomy this time. That has blessed me. That that God's commandments are for our good. And they're to teach us to fear and reverence Him. And He regulates the whole of their life. Seeking to help them fear God. we see that the proceeds of the gift are not used by God for His purpose, for His benefit, but they're again used for the benefit of His people. Yes, yes, absolutely. And a way to provide for those in need. So so yes, the orphan, the widow, the uh, alien, the Levite, all special recipients. God is blessing them. Two,
1: Sarah. I was going to say, reminds you of uh, whenever you did this to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me.
0: Yes, that's right like in Matthew, um, Matthew uh, 25 in verse 40, 41. That, that, that rang. Um, th- those are good thoughts. All of these two are ways to be conscious the poor. And we're going to find in the next verse, God says, "If you keep all these things, there's not going to be anybody that's poor among you." I wanted also, I, I wanted to stress a couple of things like that. We've already stressed one of these two things. We have stressed that giving of the tithe is the purpose that the people may learn to fear God. They may learn to of God. And we've also talked about the fact, and I'm going to write this one here, but just as Bob was saying, as Tony was saying, that it was a way to provide for those in need as well. But, but I also want to call attention to that last phrase. The Bible says in verse 29, in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you may do. The Lord, your God, will bless you. If you give to Him as you should, God is going to bless you. If you give to the orphan, the alien, the widow, God is going to bless you. Now, I want you to notice too how this phrase is going to carry over in chapter 15. In 15 verse 4, However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as inheritance. The Lord will bless you. Verse 6. For the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised. In verse 10, you shall generously give to him. Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. In verse 18, the same thing is said. This is the point that I want to stress. In giving to God, in giving the tenth to God in uh, Deuteronomy 14. In Deuteronomy 15, in forgiving someone their debts every seventh year. Forgiving someone their debts every seventh year. And releasing Hebrew slaves the seventh year. When you see these things, these things may seem, the people may say, if we do this, we're going to be impoverished. We're not going to have anything. In all these situations where they are called to make sacrifices and to give and to forgive that, and, and these, the Bible says, if you do these things, the Lord your God will bless you. That may be counterintuitive in a sense, that it doesn't seem like these things would be for their blessing. It would seem like it would impoverish them. But God says you will be blessed if you do them. Trust God. Trust, they are trusting God even with their finances uh, as they had them. But let's look at what's said here in verses 1 through 11. As the remission of debts. And, and see what this tells us. In verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a remission of debts. This is the manner of remission. Every creditor shall release what he's loaned to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor and his brother. And by the way, the term brother, not always represented in the translations, but used, I think, at least five times in verses 1 through 11. Again, verse 2, uh, the middle of the verse, he shall not exact it of his neighbor or brother because the Lord's remission has been proclaimed. From a foreigner, you may exact it. They didn't necessarily forgive the foreigner's death. But your hand shall release whatever of yours is with your brother. However, there, is, there, will, there shall be no poor among you. Since the Lord your God will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all the commandments which I am commanding you today. For the Lord your God shall bless you as He has promised you. He will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you." If there is a poor man who is, poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns in the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand from your poor, poor, poor brother. But you shall surely open your hand to him and you shall generously lend it to him sufficient um, for his need in whatever he lacks. Beware that there's no base thought in your heart saying the seventh year... The year of remission is near and your eye is hostile towards your poor brother and you give him nothing then he may cry to the Lord your God against you and it will be a sin in you. You shall generously give to him and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. And in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore I'm commanding you today. You shall freely open your hand. To your brother. To the needy. And to the poor. Among you. So. Every seventh year. There was. A remission. Of dads. Every seventh year. Now. This seventh year. Seems to be a set year it wasn't like I gave you money and the clock is ticking so that six years you should pay it back but the seventh year you you're free the seventh year was uniform throughout the land because you see that particularly in verses seven through 11 where the person might be discouraged to give because it was the seventh year. The seventh year was approaching. But what happened is every seventh year, you forgive the debts that people owe. Now, going in debt in the ancient world was a little different than our society from this standpoint. In our culture, there are a lot of wealthy people who are in debt who have gone into debt on business practices. For example, they don't have the money to start this business or that business and they start money and they borrow a large amount of money. Even though they have much, they don't have the money to start their business. They do it in hope that their business will be even more productive. I am not saying yay or nay to that. I am just stating that wasn't the case in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, when you borrowed, you were poor. And Israel was told not to charge money, not to charge interest to their brethren. You didn't charge them interest. And uh, they were to, to pay you back. Sometimes when they became servants or slaves of one another, it was for this very purpose. Because they owed a debt and they needed to pay it back. And this text says every seventh year, these debts are to be forgiven. Now, you read more about the sabbatical year, The seventh year. You read more about this year in places like Exodus 23, verses 10 through 12, Leviticus 25, verses 1 through 7. What happened on the seventh year or sabbatical year? The sabbatical year was tied with the Sabbath day. It was tied with the year of Jubilee in Deuteronomy chapter, or Leviticus chapter 25. Now, there could be the discouragement. There could be the temptation. As that sixth year came along, and you knew that this brother was in great need, and he asked you for help, and you can think, listen, if I give him anything, I'm never going to see a penny of this back. Because the year of remission is coming and there's going to be the temptation in his heart to let his eye, verse 9, be hostile to his brother and to give him nothing. But he is told in this case that if he gives, that he's generous, the Lord, his God, will bless him. Again, this is a case where God's blessing is kind of pointed out as something that's counterintuitive, as you give to this person in desperate need in this sixth year who doesn't have enough to feed his family, don't think you're going to give yourself into poverty. The Lord will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. While verse 4 stated that if the people were faithful, there would be no poor among them. Verse 11 says, the poor will never cease to be in the land. Now, I want to tie a couple of passages here in the New Testament. Poor. Poor would never cease. The, the poor you have always with you. Who quoted that in the New Testament? Jesus quoted that in Matthew 26 11. And in John 12, verse 8. Now in both cases, he's quoting that in the context of the woman who anointed Jesus with a very expensive perfume, remember? And she's criticized this money could have been sold and given to the poor. And Jesus said, leave this woman alone. She's done a good deed. And he says, you have the poor with you always. That may sound at first Like Jesus is very callous Toward the poor But I want you to notice Verse 11 In context Verse 11 And not only verse 11 But the whole context around it Is an encouragement to give to the poor It's not a discouragement But an encouragement To give to the poor Even here in verse 11 The poor you have always with you They'll never cease to be in the land Therefore I command you you shall freely open your hand. I'll tell you what it does tell us. What it does tell us is that giving directly to Jesus as this woman is done, as important as giving to the poor is, giving to Him takes priority. This woman who has spent this expensive amount and anointed the body of Jesus Jesus is saying the poor you have always met. It's not minimizing care for the poor, but it is emphasizing the seriousness of giving to Him, of devotion to Him. But, I want you to think about another passage. In Acts 4, I believe it is verse verse 34 or 35, where it tells us the early church had fields and lands and sold the money and laid the money at the apostles' feet and distribution was made to all those who were in need. And it says there was no needy among them. No needy among them. Well, that sounds a lot like Deuteronomy 15 verse 4. It's as if this generous Christian community Has reached an ideal community. It is an ideal, it is such an ideal community where they're concerned about one another and giving to each other and sharing what they have with those in need, so much so that there is no needy person among them. There are Cases where all of us. Have probably been told by someone. I'll pay you back. If you give me this. Where you knew. In giving that. You never see it (laughs) here. You knew that. And sometimes it was beyond possibility for this person sometimes the person may mean it when they say it may not do it I am not minimizing, let me say there's both sides the Bible emphasizes the seriousness of owing no one anything and paying off our debts the Bible emphasizes that and the Bible also emphasizes the need to give to those who are needy. By the way, I've got to throw something in here. And we to to know I'm going to use this as an illustration of sermons and that. Later, I met a man recently. I don't want to say too much. He went to jail 17 years as a bank robber. Had been raised going to services he had been in prison. Recognized the depth of his sin, his wickedness. He repented. He turned. He converted. Several in prison. After he got out of prison, he's been out of prison now as long as he was in, he got a good job. And every month, he sends a check to that bank he robbed, determining to pay back every penny. Wow. I don't know if that's got anything to do with dude wrong in 15, but I had to tell you that. <laughs> is so powerful. But don't be reluctant to give because there's a big question whether the person can ever pay you back. And that's what this is calling the people to. And it says, if you're generous in this, if you're gracious in this, the Lord will bless you. And remember everything you have is from God to begin with. That's the purpose of tithing. To remind ourselves that everything they have is from God. That's the purpose of our giving. To remind ourselves everything we have is from God. Verse 4. You see. Since the Lord your God will bless you in the land. Which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. In verse 7. If there's a poor Man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord has given them the land. The Lord has given them the prosperity that they have. And he will continue to bless them. Nina. Yes. So exactly. So tied to our spiritual rewards. Yes. Yes. Peter as here. Well. And people who have experienced God's mercy and grace and goodness in His gifts uh, need to be remind a, a way to remember what God has given us is to share with those who are in need. I want to discuss say something, Sarah. Do something. Yeah.
1: A whenever it's talking about the sixth year it's it's kind of like a double double whammy because it's like give this you're not going to get it back because they're not going to pay it back but also next year you're not going to be harvesting and all of that so instead of hoarding your your money and your stuff because you know that it's going to be however many seasons until you plant yeah. again you know trust god both that it will be something
0: good for you and that you'll still have enough for your family. You understand why when the people became unfaithful the Sabbath year just flew out the door. They forgot it totally because it took a lot of faith to believe that God was going to provide. Now, I don't know how much time we're going to have to get to verses. Let's, uh, to get to verses 12 through 18. Well, just a a point. That's not necessarily true though that it was like there was
1: nothing that God showed them. He even said, "I think is in the Exodus or Leviticus there that He was going to provide them a double portion in the yes, yes, He did. So, yeah. There, yeah. that first that first seven years that's that it's not like the seventh year came. Oh well, God's never shown Himself. He was He showed Himself oh, yeah. that first sixth year a double portion to them to be able to provide for themselves through that time. Mm-hmm. And so God is shown, and so yes. for them to trust, it's not like. God, well, yes, you know, everything's yes. like it's been going on before, but somehow it's supposed to magically occur. But
0: yes, I I, under, I understand what you're saying, and you're referring to Leviticus 25, 18 through 22, yeah. where they're told that they will have such an abundance that they will provide. I think what Sarah was particularly emphasizing was just they won't see those crops coming in that seventh year. But yes, no, I'm you're right. God has that, made those promises. But moms. God would show them the sixth year so that
1: it would extend their trust through the seventh. Yes.
0: Now, I want you to look, but beside this verse of releasing the Hebrew slaves, I want you to look up Jeremiah 34, 8 22. Because that is going to show us a little bit about how this was practiced or how this wasn't practiced in Israel. And we'll to try to talk about that Wednesday night. Deuteronomy 12, 15, beginning with verse 12, with Jeremiah 34. We're going to try to get all of 16. And maybe even a little bit of seventeen for next time. We're gonna to have to um, start moving. So thank you.
1: Oh that 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 that's that's what is one. Yeah